Well, I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 14. And as you're turning there, it's already been declared this morning, but he is risen. All right, I'll try again. He is risen. Man, you guys are better than I am. I, when, anytime someone says something and wants me to respond in a way, I kind of don't do it. I don't know. I'm, I think that's why growing up, I thought my name was stubborn because my mom was always like, you're stubborn. I'm like, I'm stubborn? I thought I was Jay. Anytime someone wants me to do something, I don't want to do it. So thank you for, for declaring Christ's resurrection. And it was funny. A few years ago, Marty Fuller, I, was, I met him on, a, on an Easter Sunday, and he said that. He was walking, and he said, he is risen. And I didn't know the right response, so I, was just, I just said, yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. So if you're new to church and you don't even know he is risen, you didn't know the right response, you're in the same boat I was a few years ago, the same boat as the pastor of the church. So it's good to see all of you excited to worship together this Easter morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to who we are as God's people. Paul, the Apostle Paul, puts it this way. In Romans 4, the, the text will be on the screen. He says this about God. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God is a God of resurrection. God takes impossible situations and brings deliverance. God takes death and brings life. God takes addiction and brings recovery. God takes wounds and brings healing. God takes purposelessness and brings meaning. God takes impossible situations and brings deliverance. In our passage this morning in Exodus chapter 14, we will see God take an impossible situation and bring deliverance. Uh, We've been walking through Exodus here at Scarlet City, and this morning we find ourselves in chapter 14, the parting of the sea. And this week functions as kind of a bridge for us. We're starting a new sermon series at Scarlet City Church this week called The Road. Uh, We'll be looking in the next few weeks at Jesus' statement in John 14 where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to take a few weeks to look at the way of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the life that Jesus brings. This morning, we look at the invitation that Jesus brings to us on the road, the destination we're all heading toward, the deliverance that God brings. God takes impossible situations and brings deliverance. In Exodus 14, God's people were confronted with an impossible situation. They had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God freed them through ten plagues, and they're walking free, but then they find themselves trapped. They're at the Red Sea, and coming down on them is Pharaoh's army. 600 chariots coming, aimed at God's people. And we find their view of the situation, their response in the midst of this. I'm going to read our passage this morning. It's Exodus 14, 10 to verse 14. As Pharaoh is drawing down on God's people, it picks up. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, 
It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is the word of God for the people of God. Jesus' resurrection is the cornerstone event in the Christian faith. We look back and have faith that the God who resurrected his son will resurrect us again one day, will resurrect us one day. The deliverance from slavery in Egypt was the Hebrews and the Israelites' cornerstone act of the Hebrew Bible. They looked back at what God had done, the power that he had to deliver them from slavery, and it shaped how they were to live. God takes impossible situations and brings deliverance. God takes the impossible situation of slavery and brings liberation and freedom. And so this morning, we're going to look at that, the liberation of God, how God can bring liberation in our life today. The same God who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, the same God who parted the sea so his people could walk through it free, that same God is at work. And when we look back at his deliverance here in this passage and his deliverance at the resurrection, that can bring liberation. Two ways, two ways this morning that God wants to bring freedom in our life. The first is this, how God brings liberation. God frees us from fearing the powerful, To love the powerless. Sin and brokenness affect our relationships. They affect cities. They affect communities. There's a horizontal effect of sin. And God wants to bring horizontal freedom. He wants to bring liberation in how we relate to people. In the text, it says in verse 10, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of God, the people of Israel, lifted up their eyes. They saw something. (laughs) And behold, the Egyptians were marching them down on them, 600 chariots, and they were afraid. They feared greatly. God's people are at the sea. They're trapped. And they look, and they see the strongest military in the world coming directly for them. They were afraid. They feared Pharaoh. They feared the power that he had. They feared the power of a tyrant. I'm reminded this morning that that fear can persist today. We fear powerful people. We fear the tyrants in our life. Life has bullies. There's bullies in school, bullies in your neighborhood, bullies in the workplace, bullies in church. And a bully, their focus is to get you to do what they want. They want to exploit you for their own selfish ends, and their tactic is fear. They want you to fear what they can do. This may be physical force, something they can do to you physically, but it's often takes other forms. It can be manipulation, emotional manipulation. I often see 
a manipulation, exploiting people using fear. We see that often happen in our political discourse. Where politicians want to stoke fear. They want you to think that something's going to happen if you don't give them power. See, exploitation. And often, in a personal way, it takes the tactic of shame, withholding love. There are bullies in life. Don't be surprised. Uh, The comedian Chris Rock shares a funny story when he was taking his daughter to a school and the principal uh, said to him, she wanted to reassure him that in this school there were no, they had zero tolerance for bullies. And and I like Chris Rock's uh, perspective. He's like, no no bullies? How are my kids going to learn? Because according to him, bullies do half the work. You have teachers and all that they can teach you and bullies teach you a whole lot because when you get out of school and the safety of home, life has bullies. People who want to exploit, people who want to use you. Life has bullies. But also, the abuse of power and exploitation doesn't just happen on a personal level. Often, the abuse of power happens on a systemic level. That is what God's people were confronted with here in Exodus. The systemic abuse of power that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had. Chariots, wealth, and God's people could seemingly do nothing about it. And we see systemic injustice today. We see people exploited, people who do not have access to physical force, people who do not have access to education and health care, people who don't have the same access of those who are in power today. We're reminded here of the personal and systemic nature of the struggle in life. And it's in the midst of this that God wants to bring freedom. God brings liberation. He brings liberation from fear and he empowers love. The the story continues in verse 30. Remember God's people, they looked and they saw the power of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's judgment coming. And then in verse 30, it says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. They saw the might of the Egyptians, and then they saw the power and might of God. They feared the power of the Egyptians. Now, they feared the power of God. There is still fear. It's a matter of where your fear is placed. What happens when you fear God? What happens when you see His power? When you see the way He uses power and how that can change your life? In Deuteronomy 10, it says this, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords. You see the power of God. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And I love this. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Here we see a contrast between the use of power 
What do you see? What do you fear? Are you seeing the power of man? Or are you seeing the power of God? When we see and fear the power of man, we enable exploitation. When we see and fear the power of God, we empower people. When we see and fear the power of man, we stand with the powerful. And when we see and fear the power of God, we stand like God with the powerless. When we see and fear the power of God, we look out for self, the power of man, I'm sorry. We look out for selfish interests. We rationalize our behavior to preserve and protect our power and our resources. But when we see and fear the power of God, we have concern for the well-being of others, especially those less fortunate than us. Whose power are you seeing and fearing in your life? Are you standing with the powerless? Are you empowering people? Or are you protecting and hunkering down like Pharaoh and the Egyptians? God brings horizontal liberation and freedom. He frees us from the bondage of fear of the tyrants in our life and empowers us to love others. Uh, one theologian, Tom Wright, puts it this way in Surprised by Hope, connecting this to the resurrection and to the present-day reality of living that out. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. There is horizontal, relation-based transformation when you see the power of God. The resurrection frees us from living in fear, empowers us to love and care for others. How does God bring liberation? He frees us horizontally, but also there's vertical liberation. God frees us from the bondage of idolatry to flourish in the beauty of his grace. Sin fractures a vertical relationship with us and God, and God's decisive act restores and enables us to live in grace. We're reminded here the bondage of idolatry, how we are controlled by what we worship. Again, looking at the text in verse 10, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I love their response. What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you when we were there? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians now than to die in the wilderness? It's interesting. What, their, what could their response been? You know, they could have been trapped between judgment and the sea, and they could have responded having seen God's power to say, they could have cried out to God and to Moses, God, deliver us. God, intervene like you have in the past. Rescue us, God. But that's not what they do. <laughs> they cry out in despair. It's interesting because right here they're free. They're free. They're no longer physically slaves in Egypt. And yet they're still in bondage. They're still slaves. Slaves to fear. Slaves to circumstances. God, if you'll just intervene right here and change the circumstances, there will be freedom and liberation. Slaves to delusional thinking. They're warped thinking. They reinterpret the past because, as we saw earlier in Exodus, they were crying to God 
for deliverance. And now, confronted with death, like, Moses, what have you done to us? We wanted to stay. Well, they didn't. They're delusional. They're reinterpreting the past. They're in despair. They're still living in bondage. They're still bondage to the Egyptians. And look particularly at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You know, it's so fascinating. I'm reminded here that we are all serving someone or something. God isn't just delivering them from serving the gods of Egypt so they can be totally free to do whatever they want. God has said repeatedly, let my people go that they may serve me. You're either serving God or serving someone or something else. You know, there's a modern view of freedom, of freedom in, uh, especially in America, where we see freedom as the freedom to do whatever we want. Freedom to have no restraints, no boss, no control, no one telling us what to do. But that kind of freedom just, is a lie. Reminds me, growing up, uh, when I lived at home, I wanted nothing more than to be free from any adult telling me what to do. My parents had a curfew for me, and even when I was earlier, I, needed, I had a bedtime. I had to eat what they wanted, which sometimes was vegetables. I was only allowed to play video games for a certain amount of time. It was oppression. It was oppression, man. It was bad. And now, if my parents had not done that, if there was no rules in my home, and my parents thought, you know, hey, we don't want to restrain Jay. You know, we need to let him do whatever he wants. You would look at that and think, you know, that's neglect, okay? You, you know, a, a kid needs to know how to live, and uh, they don't know the best themselves. But, you know, as we grow up, there's this lie, this thought that one day we'll, we'll leave the home and no longer have anybody telling us what to do. And does that happen? No. Oh. There's always someone. There's always authority. There's always someone and some rules to obey. But even more than that, it's not just people and the authority they bring. Life has rules. Life has boundaries. You can eat whatever you want, and there will be a consequence that you pay. You cannot sleep, and there will be consequences to not sleep. You can never clean your room. And eventually you won't be able to go in it because it'll be so nasty. You can't live in that. Life has boundaries. Life has rules. We are always serving someone or something. But now to drill it down a little deeper, take it to another level. All of us are building our life around someone or something. And that which we build our life around is who we ultimately serve. We all are prone to worship people or things or causes other than God. And when we make those central to our life, we serve them. We are slaves to them. Some of us might make pleasure-seeking the center of our life. And we build our life around recreation and comfort, doing what we want, eating what we want, playing video games all hours of the day, Vacation, whatever it is, we have this view of life. And if we could just kick back and not be bothered by the world and experience pleasure, then we'll have life. If you build your life around pleasure-seeking, you'll always be chasing another high. You'll never be satisfied. 
You will be a slave to finding satisfaction in your circumstances. Others of us are prone to make work, a career, the center for our satisfaction and meaning in life. And work's a good thing. It's important to delight in your work. That's, a, that's good. But if you make your career the center of your life and your satisfaction, you will be a slave to your job. You will only find joy when you get the promotion. And there's only so many promotions you can get. It does not bring the freedom that you want. Others of you think, yes, work. We should not make that the center of our life. I'm going to make my family the center of my life. I mean, family, that's a nice Christian thing. That's a good thing, family, right? If you make your family the source of your ultimate satisfaction in life, you will be a slave, a slave to the actions of your children, a slave to the behaviors of your spouse. You'll be a slave to any relationship that you make the ultimate center of your life, and you will end up crushing them with unrealistic expectations as demand. As you basically say to them, you give me purpose. None of us were created to bring purpose, ultimate purpose to another. And you might be thinking, yes, all right, I will make church the center of my life, religion the center of my life. Even then you will be a slave. If you make doing good things for God the absolute center of your life and the source of your satisfaction, you will be a slave to almost the worst kind of commands, a slave to earning God's love. Recreation, work, family, obeying God are good things, but they are not what can give us ultimate joy. They are not what we can build our life around. It's the gospel. It's living in the beauty of his grace. In verse 14 of our passage, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord is taking up this cause. The Lord is the one who's going to bring freedom and liberation. You know, for the Israelites, they needed to just trust him, to have faith in him. It wasn't their good works that brought freedom. You know, they, they were complaining right here. <laughs> it wasn't their good works. It was God's good work. It wasn't the measure of their faith either. They're totally not trusting God. Are you kidding me? They're not trusting God in the whole sense. They trust him enough to walk through. But you know, I bet as they're walking and the waters are parted, I bet there are some people walking, singing, praising, dancing, but I bet a lot of them were walking like, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Was it the measure of their faith? It was God's sovereign, gracious work. The gospel is the good news that God fights on our behalf. And the greatest example is Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans 6, he puts it this way. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. Water in the Bible often symbolizes judgment. We see it in the flood of Genesis. We see it here in Exodus 
Paul is saying, all of us deserve the judgment of God. The Israelites were no better than, than the Egyptians. We are no better. It is not our good work that earns God's grace. But Jesus was baptized. Jesus experienced the flood of God's judgment on the cross. And when you trust in him, you can walk through the judgment and the pain and the brokenness of life and find resurrection, ultimate freedom. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, we might walk in this newness. This morning, some of us are drowning. Some of us are drowning. We've placed our hope in gods that often only add water to the flood. We are drowning in the sea of shame. Maybe past actions, maybe statements about who we are. We're sinking deeper and deeper. Some of us might be drowning in fear. Fear of the future. Fear of a present problem. We're drowning deeper and deeper. Some of us are drowning in our strivings. We're trying, we're working, trying to earn God's love, trying to earn the love of a parent, trying to earn the love of a friend. We're trying. We want someone to just look at us and say, you are loved and accepted, and we're trying to earn it. We're drowning. We're falling deeper and deeper and deeper. We're sinking. And the gospel, friends, is the good news that God doesn't look at you sinking in the flood and say, swim to me. Swim your way out. The gospel is the good news that Jesus dove into the flood to catch you and to bring you out. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus Christ, we walk through judgment and we walk through the floods that want to bring us down and drown us and bring us on the dry ground. The gospel is the good news of God's grace. God takes impossible situations and brings deliverance. He takes the impossible situation of the grave and he brings his son to life. He takes the impossible situation of his people confronted with the Egyptian army and he parts a sea bringing liberation. How does God want to bring freedom and liberation in your life today? How does God want to free you from fear and free you from the enslavement of idolatry to walk in his love and grace? Will you experience God's salvation today? Come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death, the God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. Will you pray with me? God, you give life to the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. Thank you for being a God of resurrection, for taking impossible situations and bringing deliverance. New life is what your resurrection brings. Help us to walk boldly into that reality today. Free us from the bondage of fear of the powerful. Enable us to have the courage 
to stand against the bullies, the personal and systemic abuses of power in our life and world. Give us the courage to, like you, to stand with the powerless, to fight for those who often can't fight for themselves. And free us from the slavery of idolatry. Help us to find our identity in who you are and who you say we are through your Son. We pray this in the name of your Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.